0: Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I am Bradley. And fresh from climbing himself from the seventh circle of hell and fighting every single deadly sin, it's Stu. How you doing, Stu?
1: Not too bad. Moral compass squarely pointed towards north. Um, But I think it's possibly a bit broken and I've always been doing things wrong. But who knows? I will let you decide.
0: Yeah, I will. Well, you know, it's all about making decisions. And talking of decisions, most video games need decisions making in them. And there comes another poorly executed segue. What have you been playing, Stu? I
1: thought it was quite a good segue. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we definitely have to always say when we do a segue because it's our thing now. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, played a couple of things. Uh, the first one being, well, obviously I've been playing Bravely Default 2 and I'm happy to report that I absolutely freaking love it. Um, it that doesn't mean it's by, by any means a brilliant game. I actually think it's, if you're sort of looking at it in the scale of JRPGs, it's probably like smack bang in the middle, but... There's just something about the way that it plays that really, really hits me where I want to, where I want to be. You know what I mean? And um, the main thing I think being that it gives a lot of value to using buffs and defensiveness, like far more than the early final the, the Final Fantasies that I played. Um, and just to put that in context, what I mean is so. You, you might be given like shield, you know, you might be given shell, which protects against magical attacks. But if you were in Final Fantasy, you would often just keep uh, grinding until your character was so high level that you only needed to use that now and again. Yeah. But this game is balanced in such a way that you are much more of a glass cannon. So you have to use that sort of stuff. And it's knowing when. So it's like, well, do I go on the attack now, or do I use my shell now and waste that—not waste, but use that MP, you know—and yeah, instead of building it up and blah blah blah. And it—you really do have to constantly think on the fly about who's going to get battered by a certain type of enemy and how you mitigate that. So I really, really like that. So even though the story is really basic and the graphics are really basic, I'm having tons and tons of fun with that at the moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's I, I kind of after you spoke about it last week, I tried to have a a little look, and considering I'm still on the fence about whether I want to play Octopath Traveler, <laughs> it's like it's kind of on that. I look at it and go, oh, it's so it looks really good. It looks like such a well-made game, but I know I can't play those games, but I really want to play those games.
1: Well, I mean, Octopath uh, I've not played apart from the demo, and it didn't really catch on with me, but Bravely Default, I have bought on um, on actual card. I've got the yeah. physical
0: copy, so you can borrow it when I've finished it. Um, I might take you up on that and then send it back a week later when I go, it's just too much. I hate this. Yeah, no, that's fine.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have bothered mentioning it on the podcast, but it ties into what we were saying the other day about um, buying physical copies, particularly for Switch, because unless you go, right, I'm definitely buying another Switch. I'm buying it before I sell my previous one or give it to my kids. And I'm um, swapping the data. You're completely chuffed because you're gone. That stuff's gone. Your games are gone. You know, any digital games you bought are gone. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the only reason I, I mention it, really, because uh, I'm kind of thinking of, unless the game costs me two I'm pretty much getting everything physical from now on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I looked in the recent sale, um, and I had some credit left over um, by gold points, and uh, like MotoGP eighteen was like two pound one ninety nine, something like that. And um, I really want MotoGP twenty one. I was like, well, I'll get that on card at some point. But uh, just under two quid, I don't mind if I don't get to play it like fully, or I lose it in in a couple of years' time. But yeah, we we've now Edith has got a switch of her own as well we've gone physical for a lot of stuff we've got some duplicates stuff like animal crossing um mario kart and stuff like that we've like got it got it digital and physical at the same time yeah because you can't play each other when you've got it digital and you're both playing it's it's one of those stupid things with family sharing that i think puts a lot of people off because i think if nintendo microsoft um, so all even steam as well allowed proper family sharing with x amount of you like consoles then they'd make so many more sales whereas i'm not going to go and buy two physical copies really of mario kart just so me and my daughter can play it together Why without and about it's why again I, I think we mentioned it a few months back the DS way of doing things i i think is how it should be done yeah game sharing in that way where if someone's got the car in the other person basically gets access to it yeah you know that i think that's really how it should be you could stream it when i'm playing switch with my daughter we're doing it for fun um i'm not doing like competitive street fighter where every frame matters i'm playing mario kart with my daughter or something like that so if there's a couple of milliseconds of lag or it has to do something to sort of like to allow for that potential streaming lag, then so be
1: it. At least give me that option. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Nintendo, uh, they're at, they're at a stage at the moment where because they've got the market so cornered, they're allowing themselves to do some really dodgy business practices and bringing back flaws that they've already solved for themselves in the past. Yeah. And, you know, that's a bit nuts, but they've got the market cornered, so they can. But the thing is, that's the exact vulnerability that will be exploited when someone else comes along and, and is doing something like them and takes the market share off them. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's similar to like Steam. So Steam has got it absolutely sewn up at the moment. But well, something will happen in the future that takes it away from them. And then it, they will look like dinosaurs, even though currently they, they look like the innovators. So, yeah, it's a precarious position for Nintendo. It's fine when the games are good and they're all landing and they're all selling. But the minute that goes away, that's when they're going to be exposed. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I mean, me and my partner used to play um, Planet Puzzle League or Panel de Pond, whatever people know it by, um, with two DS lights and one copy of the game. You know, and we used to do it with Zookeeper and stuff like that as well. I say, Nintendo have solved this problem. But I know you hear the argument sometimes along the lines of, well, if you, in the olden days, you had to buy two copies of the game. Yeah, but that, just because we didn't have the technology to allow that, we do now. And I say, Nintendo solved it. Uh, and all it, I say, all it takes, And I say, I'm not one for going, oh, it's this easy. But it is a case of flipping a switch to go, well, yeah, one one extra system can play at the same time. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Maybe one day down the line it it might change. But all it takes is a competitor to come and do it. If Epic Games came in and did it, um, I think that would immediately make Steam do it. Then I think that would immediately make one of the console manufacturers do it. And all of a sudden it will become normal, just like it is with crossplay now.
1: Yeah, it cascades and then it's normalised. Um, yeah. But the thing is, yeah, that's absolutely right. But if you don't do it, if you're not the pioneer, then you don't get all the kudos and the good press for doing it. And it seems like an easy win to me for Nintendo that they should just allow that. I think they'd, they'd get a big one out of that.
0: I don't know. It, it's frustrating, but it's, ugh, hopefully it'll change one day.
1: I think it will. I think you you got it bang on the on the money when you said somebody will do it and then it'll go through all the other um competitors and they'll be doing it and then it'll be a standard feature because they look like idiots if they don't do it
0: <laughs> like like Sony like Sony did with crossplay yeah but anyway back onto games one of the ones i've been playing is a game that's a little bit out of my comfort zone and it's called Empire of Ember now this came out back in March on early access so this is kind of uh, just it's not obviously a complete game yet and i've never got round to playing it Hello, Edith. Oh, by the way, for anyone listening, the whole family are here today, so you might get some background noise and interference. <laughs> um But yeah, Empire of Ember's a really weird game. It's like a um it's like a strategy game, but it's like Skyrim at the same time. So you've got to kind of like build and do like um like 4x type stuff in a way there. So some basic strategy stuff. But then you also do. First-person battling and and, and things like that. It looks very much like a a Skyrim-type thing. Um, And when I first looked, I went, "No, this is really confusing to me. I'm not 100% sure what, what I'm meant to be doing here. But bizarrely, my couple of hours with it so far in the early access is it blends together really well you move from like this top-down um city building type stuff that you'd expect in something like a civilization or i suppose almost like a total war or something like that yeah Mm -hmm. and then you go to these like say first person views where you actually fight within them i mean you loo uh, and stuff like that and it shouldn't work but it does and, yeah, it's just it's just really, really interesting. I say what confused me, again, I think I've mentioned this before, the fantasy setting confuses me because I can't get my head around, like, fantasy settings. But, yeah, you kind of build and you lead your army in first person and there's, like loads and loads of units there you've got to still think tactically so you can't go all like Leroy Jenkins into it and then like the building side of it just, just works really really well and considering this is early access and there's still some way to go I've, I've, I've put it to the side now and I'm really looking forward to playing it down the line because yeah it's taking a couple of things we know and merging them together and doing something that to me at least feels very new Oh that sounds really good so when you say um,
1: you don't understand fantasy settings but what is it that's what throws you off is it that when you're doing the building you don't well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lead you you tell me
0: (laughs) so i think i said broadly if you compare fallout to um elder scrolls you give me a class in fallout i can understand that because it's got almost like a real world setting Right. obviously it's post-apocalyptic fantasy and stuff like that but it's a real world setting so I understand the context of why this is and what this does but in a fantasy world and when I see terms like mage and jobs and uh, and and stuff like that I don't understand it or my mind just can't my brain just cannot process it even though I could have notes going this is what this is I then start going well do i need this is this good for this type of character because again it's a fantasy name with fantasy stats and stuff like that and i just cannot quite work out what that is yeah um but i say real world setting based stuff that is exactly the same yeah not not a problem
1: yeah that's a funny one no i really i really get that and i really appreciate it i think i mean appreciate it in terms of i have an appreciation of what you mean um because i think what it's all based on is dungeons and dragons yeah but I don't mean like the the filtered version of Dungeons and Dragons that arrives in games or the filtered version that people talk about on TV. I mean like proper Dungeons and Dragons, where you've read you've read the source books and you've understood all the character classes and you know instinctively who gets magic missile, you know, right when you build your character and how many points you can assign. Like that low level, I think it there's a bit of assumption going on there yeah. um, with some games that still do that, which is a bit odd, but um, I think when you're into it, it's, it's great. It's because it's a shorthand for stuff, but getting to that point can be a, be a bit of a battle.
0: Yeah, and it's always been the same. It's, you know, I, I, I could go back, again, this is my ADHD, it's not going to actually remember any titles, but even going back to the early days, I would struggle with, some versions of Final Fantasy because they go more into the fantasy side. But there's been other versions of Final Fantasy where it's almost got a grounded. So like Final Fantasy VII it's very grounded. It's industrial. And I, I got my head around that. But I want to say Final Fantasy IX, possibly. It was a lot more fantasy based and, and I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, which was really, really, yeah, it's, you know, essentially the same sort of game, but just could not get my head, head around it because of the setting. So, yeah, really, really, really strange one. Like, I just can't work my brain around.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get it. I do get it. Yeah. But that's great. That Empire of Ember is a fantastic title for a game, by the way, as well. Yes. An absolute corker. Yes. And it's yeah, got it's Ember
0: it. spelled properly as well, not like the firefighting game Ember that doesn't use an E.
1: Fair play. Nice. Yeah, so the next one I've been playing. Um, well, it's a bit of a strange one, right? Because it's Horizon Zero Dawn, but I've not played a lot of it. But there's a very specific reason for playing, and that reason is I got a I bought a tool, uh, a PC tool called Vorpex, which is a kind of pseudo VR experience, right? Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but basically what it is, it turns normal games, quote-unquote, into a bit similar to like what you see in 3D cinema, so you stick your headset on, your VR headset, and it has that projected cinema view, as some games do, um, so it sits you know, in the middle distance and you get a much bigger view, and when you turn your head you can see the corners, so basically exactly the same as when you're at a cinema. But what it does that's... I mean, most games you can do that with. But what it does that most games don't is it adds layers similar to the way that 3D does um, either with your home glasses or at the cinema. Mm. So it has um, a 3D diorama-ish kind of effect. Yeah, so that was really odd. So I, I bought... Horizon Zero drawn on PC because A I loved the game and B it was dirt cheap on the PC and you know it looks absolutely phenomenal. Um but also because I thought it was a good one to check check out this Vorpex with. And it's okay, it's it's because it's kind of a third-party thing and it's not you know, it's commute like the updates to the, the game specifics, the, the APIs for the games. Is all community-based. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but when everything sort of aligns and it all comes together well, it's really impressive to have for well, not for free because you pay for the initial cost of the of the service. But once you've paid for it, that's it. You know, it's it's a one-off, and then you can play pretty much any AAA release you want in a pseudo 3D through your headset, at a really high frame rate and a really high resolution, um, adding a dimension to it that that it doesn't have so it's got a lot of pluses and minuses but it's it's interesting
0: <laughs> yeah so does it actually enhance the experience i mean i i've played horizon zero dawn and absolutely it's one of the only open world games in the past few years that i've absolutely rinsed and i, I i'm thinking oh, mind you, looking at knowing what the technology is of horizon zero dawn and how they get that running smoothly with like the field of vision and stuff like that and the ai that draws it in at the right time that kind of i'll try to work out how that will work in a pseudo 3d environment how it actually does that does it you know how much it actually enhances the experience
1: well i i was impressed because uh, i immediately played it afterwards in on on the monitor in the normal sort of a way But it does a couple of things that you know that kind of enhance things Mm. and then it's kind of going to be on the individual whether you like them so it does the kind of IMAX thing of being curved Um, again that's typical for any software in VR that does the cinema mode Um, it doesn't just do it as a rectangle in front of you it does it as a curved screen that's the centre, sort of, 70% is right in your field of vision, but there's at least 15 either side that you don't see until you move your head. And because it's curved, it stops that flat feeling of, of being, you know, too far away and all that caper. Um, and then there's the, the sort of... the the layers. So it's like watching 3D in, in the cinema, and it's very distinct from 3D at home, where... Like, I had a 3D TV for a bit with the glasses, and it just... It did... They gave me terrible headaches, like, really, really bad headaches because of that flickering way that it did it. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the 3D in the cinema is just... It uses a silver screen process, so it's not flickering, and it doesn't hurt your head or anything like that. Uh, and the, the 3D effect isn't as good as being in VR, but it's still pretty good. So there's a little bit of a dissonance because when, you, when you're when you looking at that cinema screen and it's got that depth, that's really good. So you're playing the game and you're moving Aloy around and, you know, that's excellent. But when you move your head and then you realise that you're just looking at a screen rather than it being you're looking around the world, yeah. then you're like, but I'm in VR and I my brain is expecting me to be able to see the whole world. So it's far from perfect, but it's There's definitely a use case there, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, um, although you're describing that, and I think if I had that, I think I'd be finishing that game in the fetal position because it sounds like a head mess that I don't think I could cope with. <laughs>
1: well, it depends. How, how in the past, when your vision was different, how did you get on with 3D glasses, normal 3D glasses?
0: I was fine with them, in all fairness. Yeah, I never got the headaches. I mean, home 3D is crap. Um, compared to cinema 3D. But yeah, never had any issues with it. Yeah.
1: Um, did you enjoy it? Did you like the the dimensions that it gave
0: at the cinema? No, right. With some things, yes. When the film used 3D to add depth to the screen, yes. When it used 3D to have things coming out of the screen, no.
1: Yeah, no. I, I kind of agree with you there. I felt that's why I loved the 3DS, because... Uh, it it always was kind of like it wasn't. There was stuff leaping out. It was that it started on the screen and then went back, yeah. and it felt more natural <laughs> yeah. in a way. Although it's completely unnatural, um
0: yeah. So. Yeah, but no, I, I, yeah, but it's just, I, yeah, I think that would ruin me. That I'm if I'm in a VR world and I'm looking at a screen within a VR world, and that's pseudo three D within that screen, that's that's already giving me headaches. <laughs>
1: yeah fair enough <laughs> and it is an ultimately pointless you know in a way it's just a, a way of looking at stuff yeah. i think the the best use cases are if you've spent a lot of money on a vr headset and it's clearly better than your actual monitor yeah um so your monitor refresh rate isn't amazing and it's only a smaller screen and blah 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 that and also you can use it for normal games uh slightly enhanced when you haven't got access to a monitor, which is good for some people. But yeah, those are small use cases. Yeah. Really, I, I,
0: I'm glad stuff like that exists. Though, like that—that's always the thing I will say. I'm um, stuff like that. I'm glad it exists because it might not sound like something I would be into now, but it will lead to stuff that will benefit not only video games but media in general and possibly even you know the wider world again you're looking at could doctors use that eventually for doing minute surgeries and uh, and stuff like that in a completely clean room because they're using technology to go in and and things like that so i i again i see the full benefits of it um but from a gaming point of view yeah i don't think i'll be rushing out to try that one personally but I'm I, i'm glad it exists
1: yeah me too and the hope would be that the technology improves the coding technology improves so much that if you've got a powerful enough pc that you could turn every game into a vr game you know stop it being an expensive paperweight a little bit
0: yeah so but yeah obviously yeah you don't want to forget about your vr unit and talking about not forgetting segue yeah good i've i've been playing an indie game um called don't forget me Totally took me by surprise, this one. I, I don't even remember asking for a code for this one, but it came through Um and I gave it a look and it's kind of um part visual novel, not visual novel, but more like really narrative story driven type point and click adventure, but without actually being point and click. But it's a detective mystery style game that talks about conspiracies and stuff, um, but set in a jazz punk world. So it's full of like neon and sort of like retro and at the same time and everything like that. And it's a really interesting game. Story-wise, I actually really enjoyed it. And I, I generally don't talk about the stories too much with this because I don't want people who want to play this to have it ruined. So, But it's got plenty of twists in it. Some are like really badly signposted, and you kind of go, "Oh yeah, here we come." Uh, others are really done subtly and sort of leading to puzzles within the game, and it worked really, really well. But the idea is, you're you need to basically go into the memories of various different patients. And by going into their memories, you sort of like do these little text-based style puzzles and you unlock their memories. And it it leads to a wider story about um, conspiracy um, and someone trying to take over humanity. Um, It's it's done really, really well. But what I really like about it is the the way the puzzles are done. It's like text-based puzzles. And you've got to do a lot of observation uh, in there as well. Um, and it's not just like red pill, red pill, blue pill style, sort of like uh, black and white stuff. You really have to think about, do you emphasize with this character, uh, you know, or, or is there other feelings towards them? And you actually use your own judgment. Um, very much in the same way, um, her story and um, telling lies does things. uh the same Barlow guy. Okay where yeah. there's a lot of interpretation in there. Um, and you have to really sort of like, you know, you're typing about and you're doing things that way. And there's a lot of that in there, but it's a bit more structured than what Sam Barlow gives you. Um, and that's not, I, when I say that, I'm not saying that as a negative tool Sam Barlow because I've spoke about my love for those games and they're open in such a way that I, you know, he's a genius at what he does there. Um, but this takes that concept in a way, but structures it to work within the game. And, there's so many moments on there where you're sort of like listening to these stories from these patients and you have to wrestle with your own morality. And, you know, it's not often a game does that where I'm sat there and I've got to make a decision and I'm going, Oh, do I want to do this? Do I really want to do this? What, what effects this going to have? Yeah. And you, you will sit there for five minutes or so going, just thinking about what decision you need to make. But absolutely wonderful, wonderful game. I don't, honestly, I don't know how many hours it takes to play because um, I think that really depends on you. If you're someone who's just going to go, oh, you know, bam, 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 these are the things I'm going to make, you could probably get through it quite quickly. But I had times when I was just sat there and just had to ponder. I turned it off one after one session and went back to it later after pondering it throughout the day. Um, and I think if a game can get you thinking about it away from the screen... It's doing something really, really, really good. I would say not perfect. Um, there are, I say, some of the story beats are a little bit cheesy um, and low-budget cinema, t- straight to TV movie type stuff, which does take you out of it a bit. But um, again, it's it's a such a different game um, that you can forgive that. And yeah, it's just a wonderful little game. Wonderful, but. Yeah, indie game on PC. I don't know what other systems it's out on, unfortunately. Um, just go, just under twelve quid as well, which I think is a good value for this. I know some people look at, uh, we suppose to, look at games like this and go, "Oh, it's two D pixel graphics. Um, why would I want to pay more than a pound or whatever for it?" Um, but it's, you know, uh, I would argue the point. Story wise, enjoyment wise, um, immersion wise, it's better than a lot of fifty to seventy pound games that you can get
1: awesome yeah no, that sounds like a good one
0: so there's two things i want to touch on quickly one i'm doing because i got sent the code for it um, and i should talk about it but there's not much you can say about it that people don't already know and i've been playing fez on the switch ah. anyone who's involved in games has heard of fez they know the story behind fez they know who phil fish is what can you say about fez that hasn't already been said i, I absolutely adore the game and I've had it on various different systems, and I'm really glad it's on the Switch now. It's a perfect port. It plays perfectly compared to the others. You know, regardless of what you think about the, the gameplay itself, in terms of a port, it's perfect. And yeah, I'm, I'm still just enjoying plodding through that game as I did on the Vita over over the course of a couple of years, as I did on my, um, the Xbox 360. I, I still think Phil Fish is doing some kind of weird guerrilla marketing. And we will see Fez Two one day, <laughs> but I don't know why. Uh, either that, or he has realised that he he struck gold once, and he's not gonna, he's not gonna, he can't bottle that lightning. And whatever Fez Two was, wasn't looking very good. I don't know. Uh, um, it's one or the other. Uh, but yeah, it's, Fez is an absolute pioneer of the indie scene. I think without Fez at the time, I don't think we have an indie scene that we have now. Yeah, the game. It's just perfect for the Switch. Um, I'll try to not say perfect for Switch, but there we go. Well,
1: it's true.
0: If it's true, it's worth saying. Yes.
1: But yeah, yeah, no, um, it's a great game. I enjoyed my time with it.
0: But it's like like trying to sort of like review Tetris again to somebody. If released just a normal Tetris, you go, it's Tetris. It's out again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what Fez is. And the other one, I've just started it last night as we're we're talking. So we're recording on the Saturday. I started this on the Friday. Um, Subnautica on the Switch. Um, I got sent codes for Subnautica and the uh, Subnautica Below Zero. Yeah. And I can't do survival games usually. the reason I'm talking about this one now briefly, and I'll talk about it more properly either in the week or as an article, is kudos to Unknown World to develop it it's a survival game and they've got um survival mode and they've got i think it's called casual mode and then there's got creative mode and there's a hardcore mode and uh, and stuff like that um and i've played other games where they take out certain mechanics but you can't experience the game to its fullest but what they seem to have done is if you play like the general survival mode normal mode you have to manage your thirst and hunger meters as well as health meters and stuff like that within within the game and that's fine. Um, and, again, kudos to them. It's not a hunger meter that runs out every five minutes that yeah. you need to manage. You know, you can get a good 45 minutes to an hour of gameplay before you really need to worry about getting more food in you. Um, again, I don't like them because, no, you can survive more than an hour without food. Unless you're my son, who claims he will die if he doesn't have food every 30 minutes or so. But, you know, that maybe. That's who these survival games are aimed at. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can go to casual mode. It's the exact same game. It just takes out the first and hunger meters. Uh, you can even still collect like the things you need for food and water, but it doesn't matter one iota, uh, which in terms of accessibility, absolutely brilliant because with those games, again, if I have too many meters to manage, it overwhelms me and I can't appreciate the game. So I can't talk much about it because I'm only... Uh, um, played it for about 45 minutes to an hour so far um, but I can take out the meters and it's gone from something that I feared was going to be super stressful to something that's actually really relaxing and chill so well done to Unknown Worlds Ah,
1: very good Yeah, sounds good I mean, it's got a great rep so definitely, yeah uh, good that it's uh, good that it's chiming with you Yes The last one I've been playing is well, I just started it this morning actually and because you gave me a code for it <laughs> it's uh, Getsu Fuma Den Undying Moon.
0: Yeah, I gave it to you because I wouldn't be able to pronounce that.
1: That's right, yeah. Always shift the dodgy pronunciations onto me, it's a good idea, and then you don't look like an idiot. So,
0: anyway, well, any instead. more of an idiot anyway. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we, we just try and minimise the idiocy to a greater or lesser extent, don't we? Um. So yeah, it's kind of a side-scroll in Metroidvania. It's set in feudal Japan, uh, but with loads of demonic activity, so a bit like Onimusha really um, if you remember that one yes. and uh, yes it's. I've hardly played it but it seems good so far so y- you go round you-, you slice stuff up and you don't it, it has got extremely light uh, roguelike slash roguelite elements which I know I said I wouldn't play again in 2021 but this is, you know, this is a professional speaking here, and doing it for the for the site, um, but no only, they're only really, really light elements, they're, it's mostly a Metroidvania, yeah. so um, yeah, you go around, you, you get weapons you equip the ones appropriate for the situation, you're jumping around and uncovering bits of the map and removing the fog of war and you go into shops to buy improved stuff and you're slashing stuff up, the best thing about it that I, that I saw over the course of like, the thirty minutes I've played is the artwork which is fantastic. It's it's really sort of watercoloury, a bit cell shaded. If you imagine um the oh God, I'm not gonna remember what it's called now. The the Metroidvania Kickstarter that was done by the Castlevania guy. Bloodstains. The- that's it, Bloodstained. I was going to say Circle of the Moon, but I couldn't remember what the main title was. That was Yeah, no, I'd say of yeah. the
0: Night was the main one. Circle of the Moon was the little demo the little spin-off one. thing, weren't mm. it? Yeah. That's it,
1: yeah. But even more attractive, it was
0: published by Konami. What, the so Pachinko got machine got some... makers? Yeah, They've, they've, they've stepped into video games. Yes. Ooh, you, know, you could fair play to them, you know, stepping out of their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah,
1: doing a Nintendo, going from Hanafuda card manufacturer to... Yeah, but anyway, so uh, <laughs> they've got plenty of money behind them, and they obviously went, oh, you know, Bloodstone did well, so we'll, you know, fund this as well. And yeah, so far, seems good. I'll talk about it more in future when I've put some more hours into it. But if you're into that kind of thing, I, th- I don't think you'll be disappointed, even though it's just early access at the moment.
0: What was the uh, other recent one Konami tried to reboot? Um I want to say Blast Corpse. It wasn't Blast Corpse. It was something, one of their properties, and it was just god awful. Don't know. Contra? Might have been Contra. Yeah, it might have been Contra, but it, yeah, because Contra's all about just shooting guns constantly, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And is. they didn't, know that, yeah, a, 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 like kind of isometric style game with Contra where you had cooldowns on your weapons and it just, like, it was just awful. Um, right. So, but no, I'm glad this seems to be more proper homage to what they know. Uh, rather than cheap cash by the looks of it. Yeah, and it
1: feels modern. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's going to have... I mean, I got to, yeah. Too early to know, yeah. but it it needs to find something that's a, a niche that it excels in because yeah. at the moment it's doing everything really, you know, really well, competently, but it doesn't stand out. Yeah. Um, well,
0: they've called it a rogue vania, apparently, according to the dev notes. Oh,
1: that sounds about right. Which is a bit like that Eastern Exorcist that, I, if you remember me playing that about yes, yeah, about eight months ago or so. Um, but I think Eastern Exorcist immediately impressed me a bit more um because it had some really funky ways of uh sort of utilizing your powers and and keeping the your power levels in check and stuff like that but we'll see we'll see it's good, it's good enough so far excellent
0: so do you reckon you'll complete it
1: most likely yes good
0: segue time talking of completion We raised this question on our Discord, um, I suppose, before we go any further. Something else we're going to try doing is, when we talk about more game-based or or anything that's in our main discussion, we're actually going to put a subject up on our Discord channel which you can find the link on the web on our main website, mentalhealthgaming.com. Click the Discord icon, join us there, where you can actually have your input um, ahead of the next podcast. Um, so always check there if you want to see what's in. Lovely community anyway, but we're going to start getting discussion going on particular subjects there. And one of them was raised in our general gaming chat about um, game completion. Um, and I, I, I said, you know, from, from my point of view, I... I can't consider achievements, 100% achievements or platinum trophies as game completion. That's something completely different to me. Completing a game, it depends on the game, is seeing the end credits. If it's a story-based game, if I see the end credits, it's completed. Um, Stuff like Tetris, you'd never complete those, whatever. If I'm playing a FIFA or Pro Evo, once I've completed a season that's the game completed. Racing games, once I've hit a certain level, that's the game completed. You know, different various things. But I know other people get very moody at games reviewers and stuff like that if they don't complete a game. And that's always bugged me because you're expecting games reviewers to not only complete these games, some of which could be, you know, 200-hour slogs, you know especially when you've got some parts of the community considering a 40-hour game is too short expecting them to complete a 200-hour game but also play more than just one game because they want to hear what their this particular reviewer said about this particular game but they expect them to complete everything fully before they can have an appeal on it always rubs me up the the wrong way so before i go i mean as i said for me completion is seeing the end credits or getting to a certain point within the game What what is it for you Stu?
1: my criteria is pretty much identical to yours so if i've seen the end credits in a story-based game i'm done if i've played a season of the footy or i've done like a season of racing or whatever that's done there's a lot of games that just pad themselves out by going are you doing the same stuff again but at a harder level don't you know nah not of that um so yeah, no. Basically, as long as I've done story, it you know that's it. And I agree with you on the on the journalism front. It's kind of like yeah, you're going to see more, and you're going to you know be able to talk about the story a bit more if you go right to the end. But how much you how much is it actually adding to what you're saying? Yeah. And it might be that you just need to reconsider what games journalism is about, and it should be something that's done after the fact you know, a little bit down the line, a week or two or a month or whatever, Yeah. Um, rather than having to hit release date,
0: you know? Yeah, which is what we do. You know, I, I, again, I, I made sure we don't do scores. I think I even took the whole idea of a review out of our articles, you know, talk about the games. That, that's all you really want. I'd always liken it to, I don't think anyone listens to Kermode, Kermode and Mayo when they're talking about films and going, yeah, okay, Mode. I'm glad you got your opinion, but what score have you given it? No, no one does that. It just talks about it and he'll talk about it negatively, positively. He'll critique it, which is fine. Not everything needs a score and a definitive rundown of everything in the game. And I, I like just talking yeah. about what they are because I think that's much better. But yeah, we had some good input. And again, if I butcher any of these names, I do apologize. But we had one from someone called Boffy. I think B0FHY I- I'm going to say buffy buffy the werewolf hunter no I don't know um, it's like yeah anyway cheap pound land version of buffy toys I would I would buy
1: those yeah
0: yeah I would but anyway, he says, or they say, sorry, um, very game-dependent. For me, it usually involves story completion, if there is a story, and also 100% unlocked and all of the achievements too. But I tend to play the game for story first, then achievement grind it, and then play it for completion or just for fun afterwards. Which, to me, makes sense. It's um, Again, I'm not saying if you don't want to... I'm not saying people shouldn't go and grind for achievements. If they find that enjoyable... Then so be it. That that's fine. Um, but you kind of get this um, discourse on social media, especially where uh, if you turn around and say, "Oh, I've, I've just beat this game," they like, go, "Oh, you, but I've, you haven't got all the achievements, or you haven't got the platinum trophy. You, you've barely, you know, it doesn't count." And I've even seen some game developers talk about that uh, the amount of like it's one percent of the user base have got the platinum so they haven't seen all the game so so be it um, and I do like the attitude, it's, it's it's up to you what you want, if you want to grind all the achievements and the game is fun enough for you to grind all those achievements, cool that, that's your own, your own personal choice for sure.
1: Yes, no I agree I kind of went off the rails with achievements for me when they pretty much every single game, even if it has the most minimal of multiplayer components, had achievements for the multiplayer you know, for playing mm. a completely different game basically because yeah. to me I don't bother it's kind of like Halo is a good counter example which is built even from a game where land play wasn't very common was built as something that could be played by multiple people so it's kind of like even when you're playing it on your own really you're playing a game that's designed for lots of people to be in that environment but you know, play like Killzone or something, I know it's an ancient example, but Killzone single-player versus King Killzone multiplayer is a completely different game. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking out getting your Platinum, because it's, it's or you have to play the multiplayer loads, I'm like, well, sod you then, I'm not going to bother. So, no, I never consider achievements at all.
0: No, um, and excuse me, I've got to get this bit of bio out my throat, because this is difficult to say, but Oh, dear. Credit to Activision. Oh, dear. Right, that was hard. Um, <laughs> Call of Duty. But I don't know if it's like it on the later games or not, but always every single achievement was only in single player. There was no achievements in the multiplayer, which, yeah, yeah fair play to them on that one. There's the a <laughs> lot they do do wrong, but, yeah, all achievement hunting was kept to the to the single player, which I think is really good for online game balancing, actually, because you don't have people who are going into Games specifically out for themselves just to get certain achievements because you get a lot of people trying to do certain things within games just for the sake of it anyway, which can ruin it for everyone else. So, again, taking the achievement hunting out of it in the multiplayer is a very, very good move, and I think pro not pro-consumer, but pro-gamer, definitely from them on that side of things. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. And no criticism of people who want to get platinum. I think it's great. And yeah. I, I always sort of do a little, you know, applaud, a, a bit of applause for them when they've done it. Um, yeah. But just not for me.
0: I mean, I've only ever... I mean, if we if we was to go down this route of... Getting every achievement and everything, he's he's a hundred percented. I think the only games I've ever completed like that is the Telltale games because they give you the the platinum or the thousand achievement points just for seeing the end of the story. So they're technically, they're the only ones I've ever completed properly. Yeah, yeah. So, but we had a uh, Brent who um, uh, 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 said he uses the terms beat and complete differently. He says he beats, he's beat the game if he's completed the story once, um, regardless if it is the true ending or not, which actually is a very good point I'll come to in a sec. And he says he's completed the game if, he, if he's done everything in it. Um, so, for instance, he's then beat it on the hardest difficulty, done it under a part time or found all the collectibles and seen every ending, which, again, I think is a really good way of looking at it, is using the terms differently I think is really good because, yeah, I mean, I, I've beat many games um to me you know you've beat um tetris the first time you finish um because you know or if you go back the first time you see the rocket taking off you know you've beat tetris the interesting put there regardless of whether we see the true ending or not i'm a big believer of when i play a story-based game the ending i get at the end of that first run through that's the game for me that's the game i was meant to see Yeah, Because I know for a fact, what I consider having completed Persona 4 Golden is apparently not even the full game. Um, I get to a point where I make a decision based on my emotions and it ends the game. But if you make another decision at this point, the game continues on. And I've not seen what it is past that because I got to a point where I made a decision and it ended the game because I had an emotional connection to that. And I don't want to go through that game again making decisions I'm not happy with so as far as I'm concerned I, you know I've I've beat that game I'm never going to get all the achievements for it because you know I've got no desire to go and rethink what I've done so again it's a really good point I think the the terminology we use around completion and the attitudes towards it I think it is a very interesting one.
1: It is it's very important because it feeds back to what the developers start doing so I was kind of Put off very much by near automata, where everybody said, "Well, not everybody said, but it was designed so that you needed to to actually complete the entire game several times yeah. to get the full depth of the story." Now, that in itself is a good artistic decision, as not I've got no problem with that. You know, they're bringing an artistry in that isn't often applied to games, and I think that's really really intelligent. But I think if you put that in, you have. A responsibility to your audience to have on the disc or on the download a video of all of the endings and why it's important. Because I didn't like the gameplay enough to bother completing it more than once. So I did complete it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go any further than that. Um, But I completely missed out on the point of it because they didn't include that. So I think, you know, it's fine to make these sort of decisions, but I think you do have to not insult your audience i think you have to cater for your audience and i think that feeds into stuff like people going well why should there not be an easy mode in say dark souls which i actually agree with why should there not be uh an option to unlock all the weapons um and then yeah you lose your achievements or whatever or you can only play it on a you know ninja dog mode but why not have all that stuff in there you know um if people want to do that they've paid the money they should be able to in my opinion
0: yeah so it's actually good, a good point like a couple of games we just spoke about um we've got so sort of, we said that it, you know he's in it mostly for the story not the collectibles and said like with if a game has multiple endings he's already fine with the one he ends up with providing it feels like a satisfying conclusion and he's never really been in it for achievements or trophies um yet yeah, forgot has said that it depends on the game. If he's very emotionally involved, he'll want to do everything. So the opposite to me here with Persona, he said if it's a Persona game, he'll always go for the Platinum. Um, but other RPGs, just getting to the end is fine. But he picks out Nino Cooney that grabbed him enough to go for the Platinum. But for most games, just, you know, yeah, getting to the end is is fine. Um, and Web again mentions uh, Nia Automata. And he said, that's an outlier. He actually, when he found out it had multiple endings, that was, um, he wanted to see them all. And it changed what people expect from a game. um, Sort of like, he he said it looked like it was very influenced from the likes of Kojima and Suda51. So he was intrigued to see what else happens within the game. Now, you mentioned about, uh, I suppose, accessibility with this. I was put off by the multiple endings because my fear was, I'll get to the end of one ending and then I've got to go back to the beginning and it goes in a different direction. I can't, I don't, I feel I wouldn't be able to process that properly and I wouldn't understand the second ending because I'd have forgot what happened in the first ending. Um, so again, accessibility, once I've got to a certain point, is there a way it can do it that allows me almost to have a movie version of it where I can just watch through what the game wanted to tell me as a reward? Yeah um again i I don't expect it in every game but when something's got multiple endings that kind of accessibility could these people to get tired playing or can't cope with doing the same things over and over just just something but again again it's good these different games are out there Uh, i'm gonna cover um just two more points that people made here one is from moose grinder Ucha said, completion equals any story mode I've seen to the end. I've never been able to get all the achievements for any game except Horizon Zero Dawn and something he forgot on the 360. It was a long time ago. Jesus Christ, yeah, that's retro now. So, you know, and he used to play a lot of games and say, like, I'll see this through to the end of the story and then mob up all the side bits and then wouldn't and without foul stop playing. I think that that's a, a, a lot of the thing that he gets there is there's so many games to play now that if you're someone who plays a lot of games, it's very hard to do this full completion because there's always something else waiting. Whereas if you're someone who only plays Call of Duty, for example, or might only play the big RPG of the year, then, yeah, you might complete that. But if you're someone who's playing a lot of games, you're never going to complete a game because there's always going on. there's this game come out i don't want to wait too long or i've already bought it and it's sitting there and i really want to play it i know i'm not going to complete subnautica i'm not going to complete below zero version of it um i've got a code for elite dangerous odyssey i know i'm not going to complete that but it doesn't bother me i'll just have the fun from it
1: exactly it's um it's a definitely a mental health issue you know mostly on the positive side but there is the negative side as well—the fear of missing out and the fear of not getting the full value from what you've you've bought—and developers not respecting people's time can be a problem. So games that are too long, or games that are uh, too repetitive, or you know they're padded out, or they have multiple endings that that give no value to you as a consumer are just really you know only an artistic enterprise. I'm not saying that's what Nier Automata is doing, by the way. It's just a theory. But, um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's all going to be down to the individual. But any individual's time has to be respected because yeah. how that time is used is, really does affect you at your mental
0: health. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, and I'm going to put all these um, that have been put on here, actually. Uh, I'm going to, if you're listening to this and you go to the website, You'll find the post for this, and I'll put everyone's answers or their discussion points in there. Um, but the last one to touch, which was what I, I felt really interested, and he wrote an essay almost. So, um, but Talvelin has said that um, he used to just finish games. Sometimes maybe go back and play on a harder difficulty if he enjoyed it, such as Halo, um, and then stop. And he went, then achievements came along and just broke things for him. He found himself trying to do every achievement in games, even the really grindy ones. Um, and then he'd get involved with things like True Achievements, the, the website for doing boosting sessions. And he points out as well that knowing he can be obsessive with games is one thing, but he's not entirely able to stop himself from doing things or thinking certain things about completion. Um And he points out Lost Planet 2, there's some really grindy achievements in Lost Planet 2, which include some online leaderboard-based ones, which are now virtually impossible because Capcom don't reset their leaderboard, so you've got to be almost elite at the game. And that can be soul-destroying. If you're someone who is into doing as much as you can, and you do have a, a proud record of completing games, then... If a developer or a publisher puts an achievement in there that becomes nigh on impossible to get, that can be so destroyed, and you start questioning: how good are you at games? Is it worth playing these games? And so on and so forth with stuff like that. So, I, I, I do think there needs to be a, an attitude change. I think with a lot of this, that you know, let people do with the game what they want, but also don't make it so inaccessible that it can have a negative effect on people as well. Yeah,
1: I completely agree, and I think a really good example of the developers taking time to, to factor all that stuff in is uh, a short hike, mm. which is a kind of mirror opposite of all the all the negative stuff that can be chucked into games just to make it a product. Because it uh, it values your time; it's not too long. It gives you power ups that make things easier, but you don't have to have them. It you know it has a a sweet and emotional ending that is developed gently but fairly swiftly without how ha- you know with a con- conservative level of of writing applied and it just it's it really thinking about its audience as it's yeah. creating its art which is where games definitely need to go in a, in a lot of cases.
0: One hundred percent. I'd say when, when we talk about near Alt- Alt- automata and the multiple endings there, and that feels like a game that scares me because it's so like so long to try and do it. But then I compared that to a game I mentioned last week in Ashwalkers, which has. Multiple endings, and I want to go back and do those because each runs a couple of hours, yeah, and they feel almost standalone as well. So you can do the same thing and do it in a different way that works for different people. Um, but at the same point, that game doesn't then force me to go, Oh, you've got to do all these different endings. I, you know, if I was to step away from Ash Walkers now, I'd feel complete I feel like I've completed the game as best as I want to, but it's got enough that it wants me to go back in. I want to go back in and see the others because I, I I've got a memory of it still because it's not overloading me with information and mechanics and various different subtle things going on. Um so yeah, you know, it's um at the end of the day, completion should be whatever you are comfortable with. Don't ever let anyone tell you what you can and can't consider completed. If you are someone who loves going for every single achievement in every single game, every single collectible, whatever, fine, do you know what? That's you. I'm not going to tell you you can't do that. But at the same time, you you can't have then someone turn around and go, what do you mean You, you didn't see the credits fully or you haven't seen every ending? That's not completed. You can't tell people that it's not fair on those people. There might be so many different reasons why they can't do it. So take it, as, take it as what you want it to be. You know, one thing we learn is not to judge people on their own gaming habits.
1: Yes, absolutely. I would really hope that the, the newer generation of gamers is not like that, especially as they their main time seems to be consumed on games that are very, very social and yeah. with their friends. And therefore they know that the 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 finish point is where they and their group starts having a lack of interest in it as opposed to an arbitrary defined point you know so yeah that hopefully yeah that's where it's going um but yeah we're in early medium it's going to take time to rattle out these (laughs) little problems
0: yeah and finally talking of completion i'm going to shut up now (laughs) Um, and I'm going (laughs) to pass over I'm going to pass (laughs) over to you take us out professionally Cool.
1: so yes I hope everybody again has a great week uh, it, the weather's not been fantastic so let's hope it improves and gets good for the next bank holiday but yes in the meantime follow all our content in all the social media places make sure that you can support us on Patreon if you feel like it and you can afford it or just a one off on coffee and in the meantime until next week stay safe, stay sane and take care Oh, 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 oh,